Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Tuesday, January 17th, 2023, and it is 7 a.m. here in Spotswood, and I hope that everybody is doing very well this morning. I'm happy to be back with you as we continue to make our way through the gospel according to John in chapter 18. Now, yesterday we came back together and we talked about Malchus, not Malfred. Um, the, the guy who whose ear was sliced off by Peter. We talked about the whole ordeal that we see progressing after Jesus has been arrested. We also spent some time talking about why John includes what he includes as opposed to what Matthew, Mark, and Luke include in their accounts of the gospel. Talked about how John isn't writing to correct what Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote. Nothing like that. Instead, it is simply his telling right? And that's very important. And realize that one person's telling does not necessarily negate the other person's telling. If we were all standing on the corner and we saw an automobile accident, the things that we talk about might be drastically different than one another. One of us might talk about the speed of the vehicles in the accident. Uh, another one of us might say, well, you know what I saw and it looked like um, the driver was doing this while going down the road. Right. Somebody else might say, well, you know, one car was really big and one was really small. And somebody might say, you know, come to think of it, I don't remember if that stop sign was really visible or not behind the tree. None of us are, are being dishonest there. None of us are contradicting another. Instead, it's just that we are including different factors, different facets, excuse me, of what we had observed. OK, that's what's going on here with John. He is revealing um, as an eyewitness account, and we'll see more about that. Yesterday, I referenced that too, right? Um, but we'll see that John is offering an eyewitness account of the things that are taking place, okay? To that end, where we left off yesterday was with verse 14, um, after talking about who Jesus had been taken to. And we got this weird thing going on where Jesus was first taken, not to the high priest, um, Caiaphas, but instead he was taken to Annas, who's the high priest father-in-law. But we know that he's going to meet with the high priest. And yet we're given this little preface, and this is what we didn't get to yesterday. And, and there's a political thing going on here. We did get to that. But Caiaphas, if you look at verse 14, Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Caiaphas is speaking purely out of politics here. Okay, he is talking about the Jewish people. He's talking about relations with Rome. However, y'all, if this is not a picture it's not a picture of not only the fallen state of the world, but also the blindness and the complete and utter rejection of Jesus by his people. I don't know what is. And Caiaphas was absolutely right. Uh, it, it wasn't just, well, not absolutely right. He said it would be good if one man died for the people. Um, if he had said it would be necessary, then he would be right. The problem is he's, he's not looking at this in terms of eternality. He's not looking at this in terms of the redemption of sin, you see? Um, so yet again, we see blindness on display. Now, with that being said, we're going to pick up today in verse 15, and we're going to just roll forward here, because today we see the first of Peter's denial, and we also see Jesus's first interaction with the high priest. 
Now, let's pray, and then we will begin. Our Father, please be with us in this time. Help us to see what you would have us to see, to hear what you would have us to hear, and we pray that these truths would be applied to our lives, um, that, that we would have the courage to consider who we are, the courage to really admit how we operate, and Father, also our vast need for Jesus Christ. Let us not sit on some high horse that we fashioned as we judge Peter or anything like that, but instead, let us approach the text with honesty. Please guide us now, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, perhaps you noticed in my prayer just a moment ago, I talked about approaching this text with honesty, right? approaching this text, being honest with ourselves about who we are and what we would do. And that's necessary, y'all, because what I found is we can take the scriptures, right, and we can read passages, and we can very easily play 2,000-year-later quarterback and say, well, if it was me in that situation, I would have done, you know, fill in the blank, I would have done this, or I would have stood up for that. And by the way, this is an illegal trial going on here, and all these other things, right? We need to spare ourselves from that kind of grandiose idea. What we have, and, I, and I'm just going to read it in a second, but you need to understand the gravity of this situation before we even read about Peter's denial. Realize that this is fresh off of Jesus being betrayed and arrested. And he's in the hands of the high priest now. So it's very easy for you and I to say, well, if I had been there, I would have done whatever. But the reality is, is that we're not there. We weren't there. And the reality is, before we get upset with Peter over betraying Jesus here, now, we need to come to grips with the fact that we betray Jesus pretty often ourselves. But more on that in a moment. Let's read, right? So picking up in John 18, verse 15, it says, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. Now, the disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. Now, time out. Pause for just a second. Who is this other disciple um, that is being talked about here? There are different theories when it comes to this, right? Um, I, personally, there are some that say, well, it was this disciple because of his link to the priesthood, or it was that disciple. You know, usually when John, the writer of this, refers to himself, refers to himself in a passage, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Does that necessarily mean this isn't John? No, I lean towards John just because of the eyewitness uh, component of this. You know, one of the things that John comes back to is the idea that I have witnessed these things. I, what I'm telling you isn't something that was just told to me. This isn't hearsay. I'm not sharing a legend with you. Instead, I am sharing an eyewitness account with you. This is what I've seen. And I'm telling you this. This is what I've seen. 
And this is why I believe. And I'm telling you this so that you will believe. That's what he's going to say as we, as we wrap up the gospel according to John. Um, but it doesn't really matter, y'all, whether this was something that was reported to him. But I, I think this is John here that is this disciple that was known by the high priest. And you get the dynamic here. Okay, Jesus has been arrested. The guards are taking him there. Uh, Peter and this disciple, let's just say it's John. Peter and John are following behind. They take Jesus in. John is known by the high priest. How, why? Not important. But he's known by the high priest. So they get there. There's a wall around the house, right? Then there's a courtyard. John is able to go in. Peter isn't able to go in. So John goes in first, and then he goes back, and he gets Peter, and he brings Peter in. That's the whole dynamic of what's going on. Now, let's be clear. We don't know what interaction this nameless disciple has had. We don't know if this nameless disciple has been asked, are you here as a witness? Are you fill in the blank? We just don't know. This nameless disciple does not indicate anything that has happened from the point that he crosses the threshold of this household, right? And to the point that he comes back and gets Peter. But what we do see is what happens with Peter, right? So he, he goes out, he goes in, then he goes back out to get Peter, right? So this is, let's just read verse uh, 16 again. It says, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. Y'all, don't get grandiose ideas here. The girl on duty most likely would have been a servant, right? Just a, a servant girl, uh, a matron of the house, perhaps somebody of high authority, but this is a servant. She works for the household. Now, spoke to the girl so he can bring Peter in. Verse 17 details what happens between the girl and Peter. You are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. Now, this is one of those places where I wish we had pronunciation, right? Now, I read it just because I believe that may be the tone of the passage. You're not one of his disciples, are you? Maybe that's how she said it. Maybe this servant at the door has some sort of leaning. I, I have no idea, y'all. The problem is we don't have the tone. Maybe she could have said it. You're not one of his disciples, are you? You know, it could have been a conspiratorial tone. It could have been a tone of anger. It could have been a tone of derision. You're not one of his disciples, are you? We just don't know. What we do know is that she has asked this question of Peter and that Peter has had the first opportunity here to testify to Jesus's identity, to his own identity. Peter had the opportunity to say, yes, I'm one of his disciples. And what's going on here is illegal. It's evil. It's wrong. Peter could have said, yes, I'm one of his disciples. And if you knew him, you would be too. Peter could have done so many things here. But what he did do is what's important. He simply replied, I am not. Now, is this a play on words? I don't know. 
I do think it's fascinating that when Jesus is in the garden and the, the, the guards show up and the Pharisees and the officials show up and they're looking for him, Jesus says, who are you looking for? They replied, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, verse 30, or excuse me, verse 5, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. You know, is this some sort of play on words? That when they come looking for Jesus, Jesus' response is, in the positive I am? Whereas when Peter is flat out asked, his response is, in the negative I am? Jesus said, I am he, and everybody that was standing there just fell out. They couldn't stand before him. And yet when Peter's asked, he says simply, I am not. Well, the text continues from there. It says in verse 18, it was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Now, we leave Peter at this point, and we return to Jesus. But realize where we leave Peter. Opportunity number one, lost. And along with it, we find betrayal. Remember the promise Jesus made, that he would be betrayed three times before the rooster crowed. Nevertheless, verse 19, Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Verse 20, I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I did something wrong... Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anna sent him still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So we find out here that Jesus is actually talking, not even to the high priest, he's talking to the high priest father-in-law, right? This is the first indication of this kangaroo court that we find. You know, that's the term applied to a court that has no credibility, that's just a uh, you know, crazy things happen here. That's all that's going on here. It, it's like Annas is some clearinghouse before Jesus is sent on. And of course, we find out why Jesus responded as he responded. Number one, it was true what Jesus said, but number two, it was to show the nature of what he was facing. That there was no authority by which he was standing before Annas. Annas couldn't do anything to him. So you find the first act of vis physical violence toward our Lord. And y'all, while Jesus was the picture of restraint all throughout his earthly ministry, and while we have detailed it, uh, accounts of many times where they tried to lay hands on Jesus, he would very easily slip away from them. Where they wanted to stone Jesus, he'd get away. Where they wanted to throw him off the face of a cliff, and somehow or another they lost hold of him, and he was gone from there. Now we see we see the full submission of our Lord to what awaits him. And we see with it not only restraint, because Jesus is indeed the King of kings and Lord of lords in all of his power and might. We see his love on display. We see his commitment. This is just the first taste of the horrors that await him. And they were horrors. 
um, beaten to the point that he was unrecognizable, tortured. And yet, how does Jesus continue to interact? As I said yesterday, y'all, he's the one in charge. At no time is he sniveling, at no time uh, is he fearful or anything like that. No, Jesus knows exactly what he is doing. By human standards, he appears as though he is weak. You know, oh, finally, they've got hold of him, guards arrest him, they can just smack him in the face and get away with it. Now he's in big trouble. And yet, where does the power reside in this conversation? The one that resorts to physical violence? You know, y'all, physical violence, just think about it. it even even the act of it is silly because it's it's saying, I don't like what you just said, so I'm going to inflict physical pain. What is that all about? Right? And it, nevertheless, that's what this has 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 devolved into. And Jesus maintains his course. And consider what Jesus said. They're treating this like some big conspiracy. He's brought there in the night. He's being questioned about what he said. And Jesus' response is, no, I haven't said anything secret. I've taught in the synagogue, which was the center of the Jewish community. I've taught in the temple over and over again. All kinds of people have heard and seen me do this. None of this is a surprise. It shouldn't be. And so Jesus said, go ask them. Ask them what I've done. But instead, he is greeted with physical violence. And in the meanwhile, what's going on with Peter? Verse 25, as Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, you are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. Yet again, Peter is given the opportunity to step in, to step up. And yet he does not. Now, who is this that asks him this second time? We don't know. All we know is who is around the fire, right? It's the servants, and we know that it's some of the officials. We don't know the exact circumstances, but we know that Peter has yet another opportunity. And we know that we have come now to the second. Now we find in verse 26, it says, one of the high priest servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at the moment, a rooster began to crow. Now, it's fascinating what John includes. And again, what Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't. We find out from the other gospels that Peter not only denied this, he denied it with a curse. Foul language, right? <laughs> Vitriolic language. I don't know why John didn't include that. It's not that it didn't happen. It's just that John didn't include it in here. And that's okay, because the focus is not Peter, you see. Not at all. The focus here is on the Lord throughout. And I'm not saying that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are lesser gospels because they do bring out that component. But instead, it's just a different telling. Nevertheless, <clears throat> the agreement um, between all four Gospels is there. There's no contradiction. But the agreement is that Peter had multiple opportunities to do that which was right. 
And yet, three times over, he betrayed our Lord. You know, as we started out with, and this is where we'll end for today, but let me make a little bit of application. As I started out with, we need to be careful in passages like this because we can say things like, oh, if it was me, I would have done fill in the blank. Peter's frightened. True. Peter's in a dangerous situation. Absolutely. If they arrested Jesus, why not arrest him? But y'all, there's another thing that Peter is facing here that he's coming to grips with. We talked about this yesterday. Peter had in mind, as we know from Jesus in Mark chapter 8, very often Peter had in mind not the things of God, but instead the things of men. Peter had preconceived notions of who Jesus was supposed to be. And when Jesus ended up being arrested, though Peter shouldn't have been surprised because Jesus said it would happen, nevertheless, one of the components of this must absolutely be that Jesus is not fitting into who Peter thinks that Jesus ought to be. Peter and the other disciples and so many others thought that Jesus had come to bring political deliverance from Rome, right? That he would rise up and lead God's people. That's why the disciples are always arguing over who's going to be first when Jesus comes into his kingdom. And they're not talking about heaven, y'all. They're talking about right then, right there. That's why when Jesus said that he was going to go and be killed and rise again, Peter rebukes him for it and says, oh, no, Lord, this can never happen. Because Peter wasn't thinking with God's mind. Peter wasn't seeing the big picture. Instead, Peter was just focused on the temporary. So you've got all of these different factors going on, including the fact that Peter didn't really understand who Jesus was. He, he understood a lot about who Jesus was, but it really wouldn't be until Jesus' resurrection, and it really wouldn't be until the Holy Spirit came in all of his fullness on the disciples, that they would truly, fully understand. And so all of these things put together, you have Peter denying Christ three times, betraying him three times. I'm not excusing it, but y'all, we need to be easy on Peter, a little bit easier. Because while Peter was looking forward to gaining this knowledge and understanding, and by the way, when he would, he would not betray him again. You and, ha you and I have the entirety of God's word. You and I are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And yet, how many opportunities have we missed to testify to Jesus's authenticity? To come to our Lord's defense to proclaim boldly that we are indeed the disciples, the followers of Christ. Maybe we don't flat out deny being as such, saying, oh, no, no, I'm not a Christian. I don't know Jesus. But what's the difference between flat out denying that you're a follower of Christ and just refusing to come forward with it? The end result is still the same, isn't it? The reality is that while we can beat up on Peter all day long, tell you what, y'all, we're guilty of the same thing in a lot of ways, different circumstances, similar guilt. What do we do about it, though? Well, my friends, we cannot go back, just as Peter couldn't go back. We'll see at the end of John's gospel that Jesus is going to restore Peter, asking Peter if he loves him, and then instructing Peter to feed his sheep. Jesus' instruction for Peter in light of Peter's betrayal and in light of Peter following Jesus 
It's the same for you and me. To go out, to testify, to share the truth of Jesus Christ with one another, to start by sharing the truth of Jesus Christ with yourself and living in light of it. None of us can go back um, to the opportunities we have missed or the opportunities where you might really have said, oh, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't really do that. Fill in the blank. Can't go back. But we can go forward. And I want to challenge you to do that. To examine your life. To examine the areas where you have the opportunity to not do what Peter did. Where you have the opportunity to share the truth of Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this eyewitness account that is shared with us that we can believe not only in the idea of what Jesus did, but that your word is true, that it's historicity, that the fact that it's an historical account is beyond question. Give us heart over this. Let us take heart in this and let us receive the prompting of your word to not do what Peter did, but instead to be ready to give an account, the reason for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray it all in his name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I see Christine. Good morning. And there's Elizabeth and Alice. Good morning. And there is Terry. It's so good to hear from you, Terry. Still praising the Lord for yesterday. Um, who did I miss? Christine, good morning. And then there's Becky and Rose. Thank you all so much for being here. And those of you who did not comment, I, I know that you are here. And I'm so grateful for this time with you. Hope everybody has a blessed Tuesday. Don't forget Bible study tonight at um, Pat and Susie's. Um, if you have any questions, give me a call. I'll be happy to share with you. Anyway, look forward to seeing you all soon. Take care.